You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Well, last week we took kind of a sidestep and we talked about God's divine providence. We were supposed to be done with the distinctives last week and God had other plans and his plans are better than mine, obviously. And so we did talk about God's providence, how everything in our life, good and bad, has purpose and, and God is preparing us for that next thing that he has prepared for us. And I know that the Holy Spirit was directing us because and the feedback I got from last week's message was incredible. Not just from our state, but from about four or five other states as well. And so whatever God is doing in that and in that message, um, I encourage if you didn't, if you weren't here, go back and take a look at it and uh, take a listen to what God is doing. God definitely did a work in and through that. Two weeks ago, though, we were in our study in the distinctives, our ninth, ninth lesson. So today is the tenth and the final study in the distinctives. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we have access to the fruit of the Spirit. And may our lives truly show fruit, that our very lives will be a witness to God. And as we mature, as we become mature Christians, we see the gifts of the Holy Spirit active in our lives. And we're empowered and we're used by God. Remember, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are are there for us to uh, use to evangelize, to share, to give a reason for the hope that we have. And so the exhortation was that we would earnestly seek those gifts. And, And both of these, fruit and gifts of the Spirit, really that we would let in that the love of God prevail in our lives. Because without love, it doesn't matter. We've got to prioritize love. Thus we have love God, love each other. That's a theme of what we do in ministry. We need to spend intentional time with God, learning about the strength of the Holy Spirit in our lives, especially studying the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've got to make it obvious that we've spent time with Jesus. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5.22. In the first part of verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of those pieces should be evident in our life. As a Christian, our lives are a continuous battle, a battle between the old man, who we were, and the new man, who we are after we accepted Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. That's what we talk about even with baptism. And that's that new creation, that new creature. Being a new creature brings fruit that reflects the character of God. We get baptized to show others that we are not the same as we were. We're new. And I asked you if the fruit of the Spirit was evident in your life. I mean genuine fruit. Do others see it? Can those around you see a difference? Further exhortation is that we don't just act like a Christian, but we actually 
be a Christian. And in that, as we mature, that's when the gifts of the Spirit come in. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And we talked about what the gifts were, apostle, tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, healing, faith, discernment, wisdom, knowledge, evangelism, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, shepherding, serving, and giving mercy, and actually giving in 1 Peter 4.11, the purpose of the gifts is that in all things God would be praised through Jesus Christ. The gifts aren't there to glorify a man or a ministry. It's always to glorify God. I reminded you that it's imperative that we don't dismiss the gifts. They are for today as much as ever. And I admitted, coming from the charismatic realm of faith, where too many things were done out of the bounds of Scripture, I tend to have that knee-jerk reaction and pull back away from the gifts, which is incorrect as well. The gifts, all of the gifts are in play today. We simply and humbly need to read and pray and study and wait with expectation for Him to use us. The gifts of the Spirit, according to Scripture, must be used decently and in order. Some, even with confirmation from the elders. It's a reminder that God will give us what we need when we need it. However, if it's not done in love, then it indeed is worthless. And that's where, as we talked about, the supremacy of love came in. First John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And we also saw in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for each other. If we can't love each other as followers of Christ, what is that portraying to the rest of the world? What's the difference? Without love, all the gifts and the powers of the Holy Spirit are meaningless. They're worthless. And we can all see how much abuse has been done in the past from false teachers what damage has been done to people in their walk with the Lord, and even many that come to our church and have shared their experience with me about how, how they were taught incorrectly and, and how so much guilt was heaped upon them because they didn't have the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to operate in love. First Corinthians 13, 1, If I speak with tongues of men and angels and don't have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. So my prayer for us is that we're not a banging gong or a noisy cymbal, that we live a genuine, Holy Spirit-filled life. And that brings us to today's message, that striking of the balance. So we're doing two chapters today out of the distinctives, striking the balance and ventures of faith. Our life as a Christian is balanced by our faith in God and attention to the details of the Bible as the Holy Spirit leads us on a daily basis. I want to repeat that. Our life as a Christian is balanced by our faith in God and attention to the details of the Bible as the Holy Spirit leads us, just on Sunday morning, right? On a daily basis. Daily that's how we grow, that's how we learn, that's how we know where God wants us to be. I don't ever want to be seen as passive-aggressive in my faith. 
I want to be seen as intentional and determined in what I believe to be truth that, that is found in God's Word. Why do I believe what I believe to be truth? Even yesterday in the memorial service, it was very firm and it was very pointed. There was nobody in that room that did not know how to get to heaven. The gospel message was presented. Was it received? I don't know. But it was presented. Let us be bold as we present the hope that God has given us. So we also, for us to be able to land in that space of knowing and understanding God's truth, it's a reminder that we have to be in God's Word and not get caught up in all these different controversies and all these different things that are around us. Stay focused. Don't get stuck in arguments and non-essential things that don't matter in faith and life. We talked about those things that were open-handed and closed-handed doctrine and, and as we're to be in what's stated in 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 17, we're to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God as workmen who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like game green. We always know that when we talk about God's word, when we talk about positive things, that's a good thing, but what seems to spread quicker? The negative. The untrustworthy things of the world, that spreads like wildfire. And that's where we get those controversies and those arguments. Stay away from those things. When we stand before Jesus, we're going to answer for what we've done. And when we do that, it's going to become very clear of what we have done in obedience to him and what we've done for our own glory. When we faithfully obey him and desire his fellowship, we can look forward to hearing the wonderful words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in the few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Listen, that, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that what you want to hear? I would hope. Everything we do must be done with Jesus as the focus and his word as the instruction and the proof of our direction. And we have to be willing to have conversations with those who differ in some thoughts with us. And at times we know we have to walk away knowing that we're going to have to agree to disagree. And as I've told you, one of my best friends and mentors, we would butt heads all the time about Scripture and different perspectives, and, but we always concluded with praying with and for each other. And to agree to disagree doesn't mean as you're walking away, you're grumbling underneath your breath about how wrong they were. It's to say, okay, and to pray, to give it to the Lord, to maintain a spirit of unity. I agree with Scripture that the gifts of the Spirit are for today and can indeed be used, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And where I do push back is when those gifts are abused or not in accordance with Scripture and without accountability. And as we study God's Word, we see that the Holy Spirit does amazing things when we're humble. And we simply want to serve him. And I've seen it in missions trips and ministry opportunities all throughout the last 20 plus years. I've seen the Holy Spirit do amazing things. 
Pastor Chuck, again, in this chapter, uses the example of speaking in tongues, and many people say that speaking in tongues is the initial or primary evidence of the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's not biblical. I've seen spirit-filled worship leaders and teachers and people with the gift of healing and every other gift in operation, operating in discernment and wisdom, and that can only come from a Holy Spirit-filled believer. We see in 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul encouraged the believers to use tongues for their personal prayer and devotion and time of worship. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 16, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I'll pray with the spirit and I'll pray with the mind also. I'll sing with the spirit and sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in only the spirit, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks? since he does not know what you're saying. I've been in church services where that's been abused, and I've watched people get up and walk out of a service because everything was so out of control. Chaos. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit moves with peace and direction and intentionality. We as Spirit-filled believers are here to draw attention to Jesus, not to man. So as a Calvary Chapel, we don't fit into the Pentecostal or charismatic realm, but we also don't fit into the cessationist category either, dismissing and denying the gifts and the working of the Holy Spirit. So just a side note, and I've had these conversations, and kind of why we come back to that repeat. I've had conversations with people within this church about these things. Tongues is not needed to ensure a person is saved. If you don't speak in tongues, but you've surrendered your life to the Lord, you're saved. You still go to heaven. It's not only the only proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And tongues is a primary prayer language. It should be done in our personal prayer time unless led by the Holy Spirit and it's for interpretation. That tongue and that interpretation then should, should happen congruently. It should be confirmed by Scripture and by the elders of the church. There's accountability there. Another area of maintaining healthy debate would be our approach to Calvinism. Again, I agree with the book, as Pastor Chuck points out. This is an area that people get very fired up about. They have their perspective, and they're going to fight you till somebody's bleeding. They get very emotional. We're not five-point Calvinists, but we're also not Armenian. Chuck says, we do believe in the security of the believer, we do not believe you can lose your salvation because you lost your temper or told a lie and as a result need to go forward next Sunday night and repent and get re-saved. And one thing that I've always looked at in this and, and we've talked about for years and I remember being in high school and, you know, backsliding. Anybody remember that word? What is backsliding? What is a backslidden Christian? Are they really saved in the first place? How many times as a middle schooler and a high schooler did I go to the altar because I backslid? Really, it's just sin in our life that needs to be repented from. This is debated for years. The word backslider or backsliding, it's not in the New Testament. It is in the Old Testament in reference to Israel. Of course, the Jews, again, God's chosen people continually turning their back on him, rebelling against his word, and this is Old Covenant, because they kept doing this. They had to continually make sacrifices to the Lord for their sins over and over and over. 
and over. I think you get the picture. They served God. They, they loved the Lord. They were blessed. And then they would sin again. So then they would be disciplined. And then they would turn and cry out to God. And it would happen again. Is that something that you struggle with? You too cry out to God and he responds and he hears us and he blesses us and we start walking with him and life is good and, and then we slip back into sin. We fall or stumble and then we cry out to God once again. As a Christian, we have access to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We need no further sacrifice for our sin. God is the one who initiated this. Salvation for us. We're saved by his grace. A true Christian cannot fall away as not to return. And you heard the emphasis, a true, meaning somebody who has genuinely surrendered all to the Lord. They repented and they believed they are saved. Does that mean all of their sin is gone? No, but it should be getting better. Christians do sin. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if I was to say, Raise your hand if you've sinned this week. I won't have you do it. But every single person in this room probably should raise their hand. Because we sin. But the reality is, as a Christian, we should not be identified by a life of sin. There should be a change. We are that new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, if we're a new creation and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, which should be producing good fruit, good fruit that should be shared with others. A Christian life should be a changed life. Here's the reality. Simple statement. Stop doing the old stuff. Stop sinning. Sounds so easy coming from here, doesn't it? But we do it by relying on God and his word. We do it by repenting and, and laying before him those things that we've done, asking for his help. Christians are forgiven no matter how many times they sin, but at the same time, a Christian should live progressively more holy life as they grow closer to Christ. As we mature in our relationship with God, sin should become less and it should change. Those things that I did 29, 30 plus years ago, I should not be doing now. I repented from those things. I have been changed. I'm a new creature. We should be constantly asking God to reveal what sin is in our life and we should repent from it on a daily basis. Seems like God keeps bringing Psalms 139 back into our messages, those last two verses. One Psalms 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The reality is, God, is there anything in me that's not right? 
Help me to see it. Help me to lay it before you. Help me to understand salvation, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And listen, here's the thing. We, we are not the judge of any man or woman, but we can see the fruit or the lack thereof. We should have serious doubts about a person who claims to be a believer yet lives a life that says otherwise. You've met him. I've met him. Someone who says they're a believer, but yet you know by their actions and their words and their lifestyle that they haven't surrendered to the Lord. That's why we need to separate from those we, who we used to hang out before when we, were, when we weren't Christians, when we were in the world. 1 Corinthians 15, says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Or bad company truly does corrupt good character or behavior. That's why I'm against uh, evangelistic dating. It doesn't work. You'll be drawn down into where somebody is not a believer. So we've got to be careful. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, well, I work in a, a job, I work in a place where everybody, well, nobody's, everybody's a heathen, nobody's a Christian there. I can't work around them. No, we're to be salt and light. But it doesn't mean that you have to engage with them outside of the workplace. A true Christian who falls back into sin is still saved. But at the same time, a person who lives a life controlled by sin well, are they truly a Christian? Have they truly surrendered? So in that, did somebody truly backslide or were they ever saved in the first place? When that, and then what do we do about a person who outrightly denies Christ? First John 2.19, they went out from us. They were not really of us. For they, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. So it would be shown that they are not of us. You'll know. Most likely, those people, they'll, they'll, they never really knew Christ in the first place, and that's why sometimes we'll see people come to the church for a little bit, and then all of a sudden they just disappear. There was not a genuine surrender to Christ. So a person who rejects Christ and turns his back on faith is demonstrating that they never belonged in the first place. You see, those who belong to Christ remain with Christ. And those who renounce their faith well, they never had it to begin with. And here lately, isn't it? It's been a, I don't know, discomforting thought to see how many Christian artists have come out and said, oh, no, no. Yeah, I didn't believe that stuff. And they renounce God. Did they really know him in the first place? Second Timothy 2, 11 through 13, it is a trustworthy statement for if we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we're faithful, faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So as we look at this, we end up back at eternal security. Once saved, any, always saved, anyone? Is that once saved, always saved? To say once saved, always saved, is to say that, that sin doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you sin or how much you sin or... The reality is, you know, if you're saved, you've got that free ticket. You can do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. But the reality is that we've got to abide in Christ, always learning, always growing in our relationship with God. We talk about things like eternal security and predestination. What, is, what does John 3.16 really mean? 
What does it mean when it says whoever believes in him will be saved? Does that mean that anyone can be saved? Well, that's the way I read it. That's what it says. But a hardline Calvinist view says Jesus didn't die for everyone, just for those who believe. So that means that some people are ordained to be lost? If that's the case, tough luck for you. There's nothing you can do. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel believes, and I believe as well, that God has given us the capacity of choice so we may freely love him and that that love would be genuine. God didn't create a bunch of robots and minions that simply agree with him at every level. We've got to keep proper perspective and not take our salvation for granted. So when I've been asked as well about eternal security, my answer is yes, of course I believe in eternal security as long as I'm abiding in Christ I am eternally secure. I believe in the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. To abide in Christ is to remain, to live, to continue in him, learning and growing and maturing in our relationship with God, daily identifying areas that need to be surrendered and forgiven. It's a lifetime commitment We've talked about Christianity before. It's, it's a lifestyle choice. You choose to live that way at every level of your life, everywhere that you are. The phrase abiding in Christ gives us a picture of an intimate, close relationship that is two-sided, not just a superficial relationship. So we should be actively engaged in our relationship with God, abiding in Christ. And as we talk about and, and ponder all of this, some of it may seem overwhelming, and how can I really understand it? And again, I, I had quoted this last week and a couple weeks before that, it, it, this scripture that keeps coming back up, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, if we try to bring God down to our level and confine him in our box, if we try to limit him, we're only going to be frustrated. Okay, God, I understand your word the best of my ability, and I'm trusting in you to bring that revelation. Again, here's the deal. God does not require us to understand his will, just to obey it. Just to obey it. Even when we don't comprehend what the Lord is doing, he still wants us to trust in him. His wisdom and perspective are far greater than ours. Even when we don't discern his methods or his timing, we must trust in him because his way is truly the best way. 
His love for you is bigger than life here on this planet. I can also say that when I come to a standstill in understanding what God is doing, I simply turn to worship. I pause. I get in the word. I woke up this morning, and the song on my mind this morning was, I exalt thee. And that's what I was laying in bed, singing in my head. I exalt thee. I worship you, Lord. You get into the word. We press in. And I would encourage you, even if you don't feel like getting into the word, you don't feel like worshiping, do it anyways. Just do it. Go before the Lord. Have that Psalms 4610 moment and say that I am going to be still and know that you are God, even though I don't understand. God is in control. He has indeed started to work in us, and he will complete it. We read last week, Philippians 1.6, where I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus. So God is always faithful to finish what he begins. And he does so in a way that's above and beyond all that we can ask or even imagine. So never underestimate what he will continue to do through you being faithful in your walk with him, through you staying in the word and in worship on a daily basis. Keep pressing in. Second Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And this verse I go back to often, and, and that's why there's, there's strength in a Calvary Chapel approach. We usually teach, I know some of you are, if you've only been here the last six, seven weeks or so, we usually teach verse by verse. As we've been going through the distinctives, it's a little been a little bit different. But if we're teaching verse by verse and we come across the scripture that teaches about the sovereignty of God, we teach about the sovereignty of God. And as we're teaching, we come across the scripture and it's about the responsibility of men, then we teach about the responsibility of men. The, the idea in, in being a Calvary chapel is that we simply teach the word of God simply and consistently. And so we've just gone through 11 chapters of the distinctives, and now we move into ventures of faith and, and that last chapter in the book. Hebrews 11:6. and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith, conviction of truth, believing, being all in, to believe, to have faith, to be committed, putting all of your confidence in God, leaning fully in. Therefore, having faith and believing, the reward will come. And we think about the rewarder. God pays out according to your faith. He will reward you for your faithfulness. Two keys to faith. One, Believe that God exists. Conversation between God and Moses found in the book of Exodus. Moses asks, who do I tell the people who you are? God replies, I am that I am. God is saying that he is whatever you need. He'll meet you at that point of your need. Are you feeling lonely? He's a friend closer than a brother. Maybe you have questions and you're confused. He literally has all of the answers. Maybe you can't see where you are and what direction you should go. He is your shepherd. 
How do you know that though? And how do you know the direction if you're not in his word? Hebrews 11.1 1 in the King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In the message paraphrase, it stretches it out a little bit. It says the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. It's to have faith that God is in it and God has the situation under control. Faith hopes for the unseen because it believes God is. Charles Stanley says it this way, faith is confidence that the Lord will do what he's promised. It's not simple, wishful, simply wishful thinking. It's the absolute conviction that God is not only willing, but also able to accomplish all that he has pledged to us. Regardless of how our circumstances may appear or what obstacles have to be, have to be overcome, as the saints of old learned, your confidence in him is never vain. He who promised is faithful. And we talked about this last week, the fact that God is in control, even when we can't see anything. Second piece of this is that faith in God believes that he will meet the needs that you have. The needs. Not the wants. We get those confused. We have wants and needs. He will meet those needs. Even the ones in the deepest part of your heart. The, the one thing that we see in our world is that there are many people who believe that God is. Right? You've had those conversations. Yeah, I believe God probably created the heavens and earth. Yeah, I believe there is a God. I'm not sure what that looks like. But it's not just enough to believe that God is some kind of cosmic genie that gives us whatever we need or want. If we can diligently seek God, we will adjust what it is that we seek from Him. It's really about asking God to align our heart's desires with His. How do we get what it is that we pray for? By doing that, by truly seeking God's will versus our personal desires. And most people believe the first of the two keys. We believe God is. The reality is that people lose faith that he rewards those who seek him. If we don't think that, then we get half-hearted about asking him things or serving him or seeking him. It would be a dream of mine or really of any pastor to, to have a, a church full of people that would be praying, Lord, we seek your blessing and your direction and your leading and your provision because we understand you reward those who diligently seek you. But then we come up with excuses. The biggest excuse is, well, I don't have time to do that wrong that would be false we do have time how many of you like to golf hunt ride a bike well, we have time to catch our favorite tv show or watch our favorite team have time to mow the lawn although i didn't have time to mow the lawn this week have time to work on the house have time to go to the doctor and to the dentist the reality is that we all have time we all can make time, and we all do make time for what's important to us. What we deem is valuable. So the question for you then is, should not time with God be the priority? 
if that's the priority, right? Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. He'll take care of the rest. Throughout history, the common denominator in the lives of those who have been blessed is that they have all been those who realize God enjoys our company. God likes hanging out with you. When we seek him, he, we are rewarded, not just because we're trying to earn brownie points, but because hanging out with the Lord opens doors to, to the blessings from him. There's a natural cause and effect of seeking him and walking in his favor. Anyone who thinks that being a Christian is boring, ain't got any bored Christians out there? It's not boring being a Christian. If you're saying it's boring, then you're not fully engaged in your faith. There is never a dull moment in my life. Every day of every week. We used to have a saying when I was part of the Pentecostal clan, are you doing anything dangerous enough that the Holy Spirit has to show up? And just kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies writing that out yesterday. Are we doing anything, though, that really is that understanding we're relying on the Holy Spirit to be part of what's going on? Are we engaging in our faith? The reality of this book is that it shows us the importance of stepping out in faith. But doing so as we're led by the Holy Spirit, not by emotions or the directions of a crowd and what the latest and greatest craze is. But what is it that God is doing and what is it that God is saying? And let's walk in that. Doing the things that God wants us to do rather than the things that man would dictate. And we've discussed those times in the past where I stepped into something that I really didn't pray about. And what do we do when that happens? We step into it, and a lot of times, if it's not God and God's not in it, well, our, our response should be stop and retreat, repent. But what we tend to do is press forward, and we let pride get in the way. Well, I said I would do this. I'm going to make it work. And then we're miserable until we step back into what it is that God has told us to do in the first place. I did, I've done that with youth ministry, trying to make something work in a new church that I was on staff at. And, well, it was successful over here, so surely it's got to be successful over there, and it wasn't. Matter of fact, after getting a, a youth uh, room ready and all these things in place, and I'm walking through the hall, and I'm praying, and the simple, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit was, how do you like your whitewashed tomb? Oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. What is the purpose? I've already shared. I shared last week a little bit about the church plant we are part of that was the worst ministry experience of our life. Those things happen. Once, once we identify that God is not in it, that you've stepped into something that maybe you shouldn't have, then you should take a step back. You own it. Okay, Lord, where do I need to be? What do I need to do? One of the things that, things that Doyle taught me early on in my life in job training is was about making mistakes. If you make a mistake, own it. It'll benefit you in the long run. You'll recover quicker. When we've had a bad ministry experience in, in that church plant, it, it took Pam and I over a year to, to get out of that funk we were in and, and get healed. We really need to change our stinking thinking, change our perspective. The reality of God's sovereignty and God's divine providence, meaning the realization that everything we do has purpose and is part of God's plan, even when we don't understand. 
And Satan's going to try to stop us. But if it's God's plan, if it's God's providence, Satan will not be able to stop it. So knowing that God is in control and that Satan cannot stop you when you're being obedient to the Lord, that should cause us to step up in our faith and step out in our faith. But step up and out in faith knowing that it's God's will. If we're going to do that, the only way we know that is if we are in God's word. If we're spending time in his presence and then we simply walk it out. When we talk about ventures of faith, it, it has everything to do with us individually and corporately as a church. Individually, what is it that God has called you to do? What is your vocation? You have a job. It allows you to put food on the table and pay the bills. And you have a vocation, a call to serve God. This is part of the study we've been doing on Thursday nights with young adults. What is it that God has called you to do? Yeah, you can have your job. It's great. But what else has God called you to do? Do that and engage in it. Begin to pray and study Scripture. Ask God to see where you should be serving Him. And, and then step out in faith and serve. And as you do, you're going to grow. You're going to gain experience beyond what you could read in any self-help book. If I've prayed with you at some point, you may have heard me pray that the Lord would fill you with the Holy Spirit and consume anything that's not of Him. That God would give you fresh vision and passion to run after that vision. Serving. Serving in ministry. Asking God where you need to be. How you need to engage. Serving in your own family. Maybe that's a prayer that you should pray. God, how can I minister to my family? Show me what my place is. When you do this personally, all those problems and those struggles you have seem to shrink a little bit. I pray basically the same thing for us as the church. Lord, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Would you consume any plans that are not of you, any thoughts that are not of you? Would you give us fresh vision for, for us as a body and, and then give us passion to pursue it? What does a venture of faith look like for us? Well, it looks like moving into a, a bigger space in the middle of a pandemic, not knowing who is even coming back to church, but knowing that it was God that opened the doors. And then I didn't force anything. I mean, God kept opening the door for us to come here, and I kept closing it. I just want to make sure that it was him and not me trying to make something happen. A venture of faith. God's opened up the door for us to be on the radio six days a week, five of which are in prime time drive slots. Thought we weren't going to be able to do that this year. Okay, I'll shut the door on that. God kicked it back open. No, we're not done with that ministry yet. A venture of faith. The whole purpose of radio ministry is to get the word of God out to many, as, as many people as possible. The gospel message proclaimed on the airwaves. Not something I would ever thought I'd be a part of. We have a woman and her daughter that listen to us on Grace FM on the internet in Texas. And I hear from them often. What is it we're doing? Why are we doing it? God's, God's doing bigger things than we know. Even in your own family, he's doing bigger things than you know, as long as you're being genuine in your walk with him. As we look for a worship leader or a pastor, it's the same setup. We don't just want a warm body. We want someone who God wants to bring. But at the same time, we've got to be prayerfully willing to step out on faith to give God chance, a chance to work. 
The only pressure applied should be that of the Holy Spirit and what the Word of God says. We step out in faith. We, we test the waters. Okay, God, is this where you're taking us? This is what you're doing. And, and then as we go and he confirms that and we keep walking, we take that next step. Always praying, always looking for the options that God lays before us. A venture of faith. Eventually, I'd like to have full access to this building, all 33,500 square feet. A venture of faith that I must be still and know that he is God. Not overcommitting us, but at the same time being ready to step out in faith. It's a balance of needing to be satisfied with what God has given us and at the same time taking those steps in what God has done and then be ready to take a, a giant step when God says go. Back to Matthew 25, 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. We all want a new venture in faith. We, we tend to get bored and we ask God for more. And we really haven't taken care of what he's given us in the first place. So the question for you this morning is, what, is, what has God given you? Are you being a good steward of what God has already given you? Would Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Be a good steward. God has blessed you in many ways. Be a good steward. And here's the thing, personally and as a church, if we want more, we must be that good steward of what he's given us. And if God's not in it, stop fighting him about it. Don't press or manipulate things to get what you want. If God is in it, it's going to happen in such a way that he is going to get the glory, and we don't have to compromise. If we're all in, faithful, surrendered, and walking boldly forward with eyes on God, moving as the Holy Spirit directs, then nothing can stop us from fulfilling his will. Satan can't stop us. COVID can't stop us. Man cannot stop us. We keep walking. Again, if we try to figure it out in a human way, we get in trouble. If we've tried everything possible and still can't see how God could do it, it's when we surrender that desire and that situation, whatever it is, to God, and we see Him do in our eyes what was impossible. I've seen that in more ways than once, and in praying with people and watching them, and they come for counsel, and it's like, well, did you, did you give it to the Lord? Yeah, I gave it to the Lord. You get it. Open up your hand and, and lay whatever it is you're struggling with before the Lord. And then watch what happens as you surrender it, how he meets that need. I've seen a meme going around on Facebook, and it says, what's, I don't remember the whole thing, but this one part stuck out. It's, what is more important, breathing in or breathing out? They're equally important. For us in our ventures of faith, there's a constant balance of submitting to God and stepping out in faith. They go hand in hand, breathing in and breathing out. We've got to have faith. We breathe in. We breathe out. We take a step. We do it again. And we're laying it before the Lord continually. Remove the unbelief and the doubt. It'll destroy so much. So the question is, do you have faith in God? If you have faith in God, then keep walking. Sometimes it can be scary. 
Keep your eyes fixed on him. Take that next step. Watch what he does. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you give us your word and that it rings true for us today, just as true as the day it was first spoken and written. Thank you for the reminder of the importance of your Holy Spirit and the the fruit that should be evident in our lives and and Lord, for empowering us with your Holy Spirit so we can effectively proclaim the gospel message. Help us to remember to love you and to love others. Help us to strike the balance of daily life with you as the priority as we step out in faith to serve you and proclaim truth. Lord, help us remember that our life as a Christian is balanced by our faith in you and our attentions to the details of your word as the Holy Spirit leads us on a daily basis. And Lord, that when we arrive in heaven, Lord, we want to stand before you and I'm asking that we would be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with the few things that I put you in charge of many things. Come and enter the joy of your master. May we prioritize our relationship with you. May we be ready at all times to step out on faith for everything that you have for us. And as we close every service, we always give an opportunity for you to surrender your life to the Lord. Everything we've talked about it points us to Jesus. It points us to the cross. The fact that God sent his son to the earth to die on a cross for your sins and mine. He went to that tomb and he rose again three days later. And he's in heaven with the Father now. Because he did that act, we have the opportunity to repent, to ask for forgiveness of our sins and restore our relationship with God. In the book of Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, we're going to say a simple prayer. It's not a magic incantation. It's just a conversation from your heart to God's heart. So if that's you in this room or online, I would ask you to pray this. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me and I believe you're alive today. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. Come into my life and be Lord of my life. And I will follow you the rest of my days. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me to bring the hope that I have now to others. In Jesus' name. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 
West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.